I want you to think with me, what's the last um, decision that you had to make, maybe that you're making right now, that you felt in your gut? You know, there are decisions that we make, and then there are those decisions where we stay up late at night or wake up early in the morning. What am I going to do about this? The kind of decision about the job to take, maybe I need to change careers. Could be the kind of job about where do I live, what house do I buy, do I build, do I stay where I'm at. That decision about finances that you go, I need wisdom. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Maybe it's a decision for your kids. You go, should I put them in this school or this school? Is this school working for them? Do I need to change all of that? Could be a decision regarding medical options, treatments. We all have those kind of decisions that to somebody else, they might just, oh, well, yeah, you should do this, this, and this. But when we're in the middle of that situation, we feel it in our guts and go, what am I going to do now? Where am I going to go? God, can you give me wisdom? We're starting a series this week called Wisdom and Folly. We're going to be walking through Proverbs 1 through 9. And that's, it's an awesome section because it's about those gut level decisions that we go, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know which, which road to take. I don't want to make the wrong decision and end up so far down this road and I don't know where to go, how to get back, how to untangle myself from this big mess. Proverbs 1 through 9 is so awesome because it, is actually, it's not just a collection of nice, pithy sayings that we can put on the wall, but they all hang together, helping us navigate those roads of wisdom and folly. Not just one decision, but in decision after decision after decision. So go ahead and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. We get to these decisions where we feel anxiety, We feel insecurity. We feel all of these things. Which way am I supposed to go? What am I going to do? Thankfully, we've got Proverbs 1-9 through that helps us begin to navigate these roads. What I want to show you here today, I want to show you here starting in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1-33, through that wisdom is a call to turn away from destruction to security and ease. Wisdom isn't just about making right decisions and doing good things. Wisdom is actually, no, avoid destruction. Go in the way of security. Go in the way of ease. So I want to begin right now in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right, just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And Here's the key verse, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, give us your wisdom, wisdom that is from above, so that we can walk with you, walk before you. In Jesus' name, amen. What we find here in Proverbs chapter 1 is this invitation. Turn away from destruction and instead choose security and ease. And what I want to show you here is three steps 
to turning from destruction to this security and ease. Three steps. Verses 1 through 9 call us, recognize your need for wisdom. Recognize your need for wisdom. Proverbs can create a lot of confusion because we can like select little verses and go, is that really true? Like what is, so ultimately, like what is Proverbs and how does that work in like recognizing our need for wisdom? Proverbs is a word that means comparison. It's essentially these comparisons that help us kind of chew on this some aspect of truth, pointing us toward the truth, not defining it in every situation. We have to get this idea that Proverbs are a comparison that points us towards the truth, but doesn't just lay out every decision in front of us. It gives us this idea that wisdom can be taught. It's not just something that you have. Whether you're young, you don't just get it because you're old. It's actually something that can be taught to the young and something that the old should seek out. And we specifically have to remember that these aren't legal guarantees from God. You've probably heard Proverbs like train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not turn from it. Some of you guys go, but I've had children running from God. And so we have to remember these are actually not legal guarantees. If you just cross all of your X's and dot all your I's, then you're going to be okay. These are Proverbs are comparisons that are meant to guide our choices, not guarantee the outcomes of things for us. And so here in verses 1-9, through nine, with this idea, these are comparisons pointing us toward the truth, not defining it technically in every circumstance. Proverbs invites us to recognize our own need for wisdom. Verses 2-6 through six lay out, who needs this? Who needs wisdom? It's the ones who need wisdom and instruction. It's those who need under, to understand words of insight. It's those who need to know, how do I behave? Verse 3 says, prudent behavior. For doing what is right and just and fair. Maybe your translation there says righteousness and justice. Proverbs aren't just about making skillful decisions, but there's, a, there's an element of righteousness and justice. And those of us that long to do right, long to want to do right, Proverbs is for us. It's for those that are wise. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the simple gain prudence. The wise listen to their learning, so it's for the wise and it's for the simple. But here in verse 7 is really the beginning of the book of Proverbs. So we know everybody needs wisdom, whether they're simple or wise, whether they're young or whether they're old. All of us need wisdom. But verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. What does the fear of the Lord mean? Is the fear of the Lord like terror? Does that mean that I'm like scared when I'm in the presence of God? We have to start with being terrified. Fear, the, the essence of the term fear, the essence of what's going on in the book of Proverbs with fear is what I would call regard. It's this idea that like somebody has regard for God, the fear of the Lord, the regard of the Lord. I often define it in the negative. That when you see publicly or maybe just personally, you see somebody who throws away their entire life. They throw away their wife, they throw away their kids, they throw away their job on addictions, on affairs, on chasing after schemes, on gambling, on something. I often look at that situation and go, that's a person who has no regard for their family. Somebody comes and they say, I actually never knew my dad. It was a fling that happened when my mom was 16, 17, and I never really knew my dad. 
I'm like, that's a man with no regard for anybody who just uses people and throws them away. That's a person with no regard. And so the opposite of that is a person who has regard for their family and says, I don't want to abandon them. I'm not going to give up every good thing in my life just to satisfy my appetite. That's the essence of the idea, the fear of the Lord. It's a person who has regard for the Lord, thinking, actually, I'm accountable to God in everything. And so wisdom starts as we have regard for the Lord. It reminds me of story after story in the Old Testament of kings that it says they forgot God, they disregarded God, they rejected God. Those are kings with no wisdom because they had no fear of God. Instead of fear of God, they forgot Him. Instead of fearing God, they rejected Him. Instead of fearing God, they disregarded Him. And so here in verses 1-9, through it calls each one of us, will you recognize your need for wisdom? Recognize your need for regard for the Lord. That you need to fear the Lord. And so where do we start with wisdom? We start with regard. Will will each one of us who have hard decisions to make this week and will have hard decisions to make next week, those emotional things that are going to keep us up, are we actually going to start with the fear of the Lord and regard for Him? Are we going to look at our lives and say, you know what? I'm not okay on my own. I actually, am, I actually need God's wisdom. And so I'm going to seek God's wisdom. It is a dangerous place to need wisdom and not know it. And here in verses 1-9, through nine, it says recognize your need for wisdom. And start with regard. Start with fear. The second step in turning from destruction to security and ease is identify the danger of folly's call. Verse, verses 10-19 through 19 say, My son, if sinful men entice you, Do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lot with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Verse 10 begins with this invitation. My son, if sinners entice you, do not go with them. And then he walks through this danger. It is a dangerous thing when sinners come and say, hey, look, Let's, let's do, let's go and harm somebody. Let's get, lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's try and get some things down. Let's go and swallow them alive like the grave and swallow them whole like those who go down to the pit. What's so interesting about this, this description is all of us can identify the danger if somebody outside of us comes and says, hey, let's go and lie in wait for somebody to steal from them, to kill somebody. We can identify the danger. But here at the, at the very end, in verse 19, he says, such are the paths of all of those who go after ill-gotten gain. Your translation might say, such is the way of all of those that are greedy for unjust gain. It's not just, my son, don't let sinners out there entice you. Then he turns it around and says, my son, if your heart is set on greed and ill-gotten gain, you will do things that you would not do otherwise. We, are, we can easily focus on the danger of that external call of, hey, let's go and do something to get something for ourselves 
Solomon knows that we actually can often identify the danger of the external call of folly. But then he turns it around and says, inside, when your heart is set on greed and unjust gain, when your desire is for things that, you, that do not belong to you, you will go off in roads that you would never go in otherwise. And so the danger of folly's call is that yes, sometimes it's outside of us, but it's also inside of us. We would recognize it if the invitation was loud and blatant on the outside, but such is the way of all of those who are greedy on the inside. The internal threat is the more dangerous one because it starts here and I can't blame anybody else. And so the danger of Folly's call is that we would just be warned in every situation where we have to make a decision. Oh, somebody else might entice me to do something wrong. But Folly actually calls to me from the inside in every decision. Every time I face a decision, there's actually a part of me that can be set on things that God has called me not to do or not to love or not to chase after. It's the heart and the motive that is part of the danger of Folly's call. When I was a personal trainer, I'd spend hours, you know, every week, every month with clients. And so I'd get to know their lives and their stories. And one of them, he was a hospital administrator, but he had been an ER nurse. And he told me about what it's like to be an ER nurse and the decisions that they had to make and the way that those things worked. And he told me that the way that an ER nurse and an ER doctor are different from your family practice or your general practice doctor. He said that if you go to your regular doctor, you set an appointment, it's later this week or it's next week or it's next month, and you go in and you say, hey, I'm, I'm having some kind of an issue. I, you know, there's some kind of a burning in my chest. What is it? And he said, a, re- a general practice doctor and a family doctor starts with what is most likely here. 80%, 90% of that kind of an issue. He'll go, it's probably heartburn. Let me give you some heartburn medicine and we'll see what's going on. And if that doesn't take care of it, and then he'll go to the next you know, 5% or 10% of the issues. And then if that doesn't fix it, he'll keep narrowing it down farther and farther. Because a general practice doctor where you have to schedule your trips in there, they just start with what's most likely. And then they work their way down the list from there. He said, but if you go into an ER where you don't have an appointment, you just show up and you say, I have a burning in my chest. An ER nurse and an ER doctor say, we're not actually going to start with what's most likely. We're going to start with what's most harmful. And so they immediately go into, do you, are you having a heart attack? Because, hey, if you've got heartburn, we've got time. But if you're having a heart attack, we've only got moments. And so he said the difference between the general practice and the ER is that one starts with, well, what's most common? We can get, we've got time. And one starts with what's most dangerous because we don't have any time. The reason I'm telling you that is that when it comes to Folly's call, we have to be more like the ER nurse than the general practice doctor. We have to say, when I have a decision to make, there's going to be a part of me that is dangerous. And I have to start with what's most dangerous. That part of my heart that gets set on sinful things, wanting to go in sinful ways, and not just be like, well, we've got time, we can fix this. I'll steer the course a different way. We have to be like the ER nurse that says, there is a great threat when I have a decision to make. And the the call of folly might be outside of me, but it also might be in my heart. So it's not just out there, but as you're facing hard decisions regarding your kids, your house, your job, your future, this week, your finances, the call of folly is not just out there, it's also inside. The call of folly is in our own hearts and it is so dangerous. And so don't follow your heart. Instead, say, God, 
Can you give me wisdom and help me identify those parts of me that will latch on to sinful things and lead me down roads I would know not to go down? That's the second step. Identify the danger of folly's call. The third step in turning from destruction to security and ease is respond to wisdom's correction. Verse 20 says, Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your sinful ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery? And fools hate knowledge. Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call, no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand. Since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke. They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Verses 20 to 33 say, respond to wisdom's correction. Here, wisdom is like a prophetess calling out. It is this personification of wisdom, but more than that, wisdom in this moment becomes personal. It's not just, are you making right decisions, but you're actually dealing with God Himself. That's why the fear of the Lord is so critical, this regard for the Lord, because wisdom is actually a dealing with God face to face. And what are we going to do with that? You see, in most of these verses, the response is, God, I'm going to turn away. God, I'm going, to, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to listen to your correction. I'm not going to listen to your reproof. Because ultimately, wisdom is proved in its crisis moment. Not when you're making your first decision, but when you're corrected. Here, Proverbs 1 says that wisdom is actually not about trying to get it right in the first step. It's actually when we screwed up, will we actually listen? and bend our ears and turn our faces back towards God. And here, the call of wisdom says, will you listen? Will you turn? And the mocker just turns away and says no. Proverbs says that though that road is the road that leads to destruction. That's the road that we want to avoid, that turning away from God and from His direction. And verse 33 just really simply says, whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Wisdom is proved in that moment of correction. And when we're corrected, will we actually turn our ear and listen? It says that's the road that leads to safety. That's the road that leads to ease with no fear of harm. We have to remember Proverbs isn't a series of promises, a series of legal guarantees. We all could come up with examples of people that in this life, live with lies, live with deceit, using people with no fear of God. It reminds me of the story of Lazarus in the New Testament. You see, there's actually two stories. One, Lazarus who was raised from the dead, but Jesus also told a story about a rich man named Lazarus who never faced any judgment in this life. 
He rejected God, turned away from God, abused the poor. And it wasn't until he died that he actually faced any kind of judgment. And so we can look at this and go, wait, whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. We have to remember that sometimes bad people have good things happen. But the promise is that one day it will change. That one day the fool will come to destruction. Even if it doesn't happen on our timetable. The invitation to us is not to worry about what is everybody else going to do in that moment of correction, but what will we do? Recently, I uh, maybe a month ago, I was down in Grafton. And I know Grafton pretty well. I don't need a GPS to get around Grafton. I told Emma I would be home at a certain time. And I was like, I don't really feel like going back to the interstate. I think I know where I'm at. I can drive based off of the sun. And I start going a different direction. And I really have no idea how I screwed this up because I really do know the directions of the sun in north, south, east, and west. And I get going down that road and I was like, I need to check just to make sure I'm going to be home about the time I told them I'm going to be home. And then I realized I was headed in the exact wrong direction. So the GPS at that moment tells me, no, you actually have to head this way if you want to get home. And really, under no circumstance, will you be home in time? Because you're already headed in the wrong direction. And that was the crisis moment where I have to choose, do I know better than this mapping software? Or am I going to listen and say, hey, actually, I got my directions screwed up and now I'm headed west instead of headed northeast. And that's actually the moment of wisdom that we see in this passage. The point is that when we are corrected and it says you're headed in the wrong direction, that we turn. Not did you get the direction right the first time, but will you stop and turn around when corrected? And so how will you respond to reproof when God says, no, that's the wrong way? Will you stop and say, okay, I'll listen? Or will you keep going? Because ultimately, to listen to God, to listen to wisdom's call is an invitation to security and ease. Doesn't feel like it, but it's an invitation to security and ease and away from destruction. So the call, turn away from destruction to security and ease. Recognize your need for wisdom. Identify the danger of folly's call. Respond to wisdom's correction. Sounds like some really doable steps. The problem is I get tripped up at the step, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If, if the fear of the Lord and regard for the Lord is the first step on the road to wisdom, I'm already lost. Because so often I don't fear the Lord. I don't love the Lord. I don't have a proper regard for Him in every circumstance. So where does that leave somebody like me and maybe somebody like you? This passage judges us at its very first step. We ultimately find that instead of God standing here pointing His finger of destruction at us, we find this verse that says they will eat the fruit of their ways can become good news for us because Jesus is the one that eats the fruit of our ways so that we can eat the fruit of His ways. Jesus is the one that lived the way we should have lived, listening to the call of wisdom, making the right decision at every moment, and then eating the fruit of our destructive, selfish ways. So will we, instead of chasing our own ways, Will we come with wisdom's call to the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I will trade. 
I will trade all my foolishness for all of your wisdom. I will trade my foolishness for your wisdom so that I can eat the fruit of all that you've done on my behalf. Maybe you're new here and you go, Joe, what are you talking about? How can we make this trade? The story of the Bible is the story that God made the world and He made it good. And He put Adam and Eve in the garden and He said, tend it and keep it and you will be my little kings and I will be the great king over you. And Adam and Eve said, no, we're going to go our own way. They, they reached this point and said, no, we're going in the way of folly, which will one day lead to destruction. And the Bible says that each one of us has done that, making that choice, walking in our own way. But instead of leaving us under judgment, instead of leaving us with the danger of our own folly, the Bible says that Jesus lived the life that we should live, died to the death that we should die, and was raised back to life so that we can make that trade. It's called a repentance and faith. Repentance of sin and trusting in Christ alone to save us. And so instead of being tripped up by the fear of the Lord, instead you can actually be set free here in the book of Proverbs to walk in the way of wisdom without fear of judgment through repentance and faith. If you have questions about that, grab the person that brought you. You can grab me during the singing. You can grab me after the service and say, I want to understand more. I want to, I want to know that I am walking in God's way of wisdom starting with this prayed with Jesus. So the call is, will you turn away from destruction to security and ease? Imagine what that looks like in your house. You're still going to have hard decisions to make. You're still going to have those late nights and those gut-wrenching decisions. But imagine what it looks like when those decisions start with regard for the Lord. Imagine what that looks like when, when your family begins to make decisions starting with we have regard for the Lord and if He corrects us, we will gladly, open, with open arms, welcome His correction. Then the pressure's off a little bit, isn't it? The pressure's off a little bit if you don't have to get every detail right up at the front end. Knowing that wisdom's call is at the front end and at the middle and at the end. And we always get the invitation to respond to it. And then imagine what it looks like for a church that loves wisdom. Listening for the voice of God and saying, okay God, we'll correct our course. We'll always lean in to your correction. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that, that wisdom can be ours. But instead of leaving us with this great weight and this great law to obey, instead of you, give us the freedom in Christ to turn towards your face in wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. The last Sunday of every month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And so this is the time in the service where we're going to do that. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Anne's going to play a song. If you have repented of sin and trusted in Christ alone to save you, then you are welcome to come and take the juice and take the cracker. Celebrating that Jesus lived the life that you should live, died the death that you should die, raised him, came back to life so that you are free forever from the judgment of sin. Let me read 1 Corinthians. Chapter 11 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, after supper, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of Me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let's pray. Father, we do proclaim Your your death and Your resurrection here in the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, Amen.